Good evening, and welcome to Fury Tales, the podcast dedicated to exploring human fears and their impact on storytelling through folklore, urban legends, and visual meaning. I'm your mad scientist host, Paul Dennis. Tonight, we are exploring one of the oldest and most recognized pieces of fiction literature to ever grace our gothic shells and horror archives. We're discussing Mary Shelley's 1818 novel, Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus. I'll dive into the long legacy that this film and this book have left, the many films and plays and influences it's had on other forms of horror and other movies and television shows. I'll discuss the novel, its inception, where Mary Shelley got her inspiration from, and how her personal life was thrown into this book, creating a very human and raw experience for its readers. Now, grab a warm drink for this cool night. Lock the doors, check under the bed, and in the closet. Settle into your favorite seat, and listen closely. It's time for another fairy tale. It's alive! Thunder crashes and lightning flashes as if in response to the young doctor's triumphant call. The doctor himself looks down at the machine, still crackling and buzzing, with the large sheeted figure on a large table. A hand, grotesque and misshapen, twitches from the electricity passing through its body. The shape sits up, moving with unsure motions, swinging its legs around and rising, unsteady. The doctor backs away, still in marvel at his creation come to life, before leading it by the hand into his laboratory. The creature appears to be a simple, innocent creation. The doctor invites it to sit, then opens up the roof allowing the first glimpses of sunlight to shine through onto the creature's face. Fritz, the doctor's assistant, enters the room brandishing a torch, which frightens the creation, prompting it to grunt and attempt to swipe at the new threat. Its fright is mistaken by the doctor and Waldman, another visitor to the lab, as an attempt to attack them. Frightful. The group subdues the creature and chain it in the dungeon, leaving it with Fritz mere hours after its birth. Fritz continues to antagonize the poor creature with the torch, watching it shrink and groan at the flames of the torch. The doctor and Waldman resume their discussion of the creature's fate upstairs, considering that maybe the creation is not fit for society and will wreak havoc at any time. A shriek rings out suddenly, rising up from the dungeon, and the pair race back down, finding Fritz in the clutches of the creature, who had reached his limit of his torture. 
The creature lunges at the new arrivals. They push it back into the dungeon long enough to close the door, and they come to the conclusion that nothing so dangerous should be kept alive. The doctor prepares a powerful drug, and the two move back to the door, ready to inject it as it attacks. The door is swung open. The creature pushes out and attacks. The injection is pushed into its back, knocking it out immediately. The doctor collapses, exhausted from the day's excitement. Waldman lays him down on a cot in the upstairs room where he rests until his father and fiance, Elizabeth, arrive to take him back home. He awakens hours later, well rested, but concerned about the creature. Waldman assures him that the deed will be done and the creature will be destroyed. Waldman stands over the creature, examining its size and features. He prepares the vivisection, ready to learn more about the creation before it's destroyed. As he leans down to prepare the procedure, the creature's eyes open and its large hands find their way to Waldman's neck, strangling him. This time, there is no intervention and the smaller man loses breath and eventually life itself. The creature escapes the tower, stepping into that warm sunlight, and wanders the landscape. A short time later, the creature arrives at a small farm near Gentle Pond. A small girl, Maria, is playing near the water, when she spots it standing in the bushes. Unafraid, she invites the large creature over, asking him to play a game with her. She leads him to the waterside and begins to pick small flowers, tossing them into the water. The giant finds delight in this and watches her throw each flower and seeing how they float. Soon the pair run out of flowers and Maria apologizes. The creature isn't done, however, and picks up the small girl, throwing her into the water and waiting for her to float as well. It watches, waiting, puzzled and upset when the girl does not surface, and it runs off. The doctor, content with the knowledge his creation has been destroyed and will no longer haunt him, prepares to marry his love. The two are ready to be wed, and the ceremony is set to begin once Waldman arrives. Victor, a friend of the pair, rushes in announcing that Waldman had been found strangled in the doctor's tower. The doctor himself suspects the creature and makes preparations. Meanwhile, the creature himself is already near, arriving in Elizabeth's room, where she is resting from the shock of the news. She sees the creature climbing into her window and screams, alerting the men of the manor who rush to her aid. When the group arrives, they find Elizabeth unconscious on the bed. The creature has escaped. The doctor grows more anxious at the price of his madness. The loss of a friend. The strain of his life with his fiance. It's becoming too much, and more is in store for him as Maria's father arrives in town, carrying his daughter's limp waterlogged body. He cries out to those who have gathered, 
telling all who will listen that she was murdered and left alone. The doctor finally comes clean, admitting he knows how he is responsible for everything. The villagers are in a rage and form a search party for the creature, ready to bring it to justice, alive or dead. In order to search the whole countryside, the riotous crowd splits into three groups, one to go into the woods, one to go by the lake, and the third, led by the doctor, into the mountains. Torches and pitchforks in hand, the mob leaves the village, ready for anything. Out into the countryside, torches raised high, voices buzzing in unison, calling for the creature, calling for it to meet its doom. The three groups separate, each desperate for some sign of the ungodly creature, ready to bring justice upon the poor beast. The cries echo against the mountains and hills as the night progresses. The doctor falls behind and becomes separated and alone in the rocky outcrops. Determined to find his way back to the group, he spots a shadow caught in the light of his torch, a large, man-shaped shadow. He knows he's found the creature. As he backs away slowly, he steps on a nearby branch, creating a loud snap that draws his creation's attention to him. The creature attacks, locking the two in a struggle as the doctor tries to create distance. This is to no avail, however, and the creature is able to overpower the smaller man, knocking him unconscious. He grabs its maker and carries him off, spying an old mill nearby and seeing safety. The peasants and townspeople hear the cries of the creature as he runs off across the land, and they regroup, following his trails. As they crowd around the base of the mill, they find the creature has climbed to the top, the doctor in its large arms. The townspeople cast their torches at the mill, using the flames in an attempt to bring the creature down. Catching fire against the rotting wood almost instantly, the torches do their job of frightening the creature and leaving him trapped and helpless. It throws the unconscious doctor to the ground below in panic. The body of its creator tumbles through the air and manages to catch against the veins of the windmill, slowing his fall, saving his life. More torches are thrown into the growing blaze now that the doctor is free and safe. There is no remorse or sympathy for the crying creature, only disdain. The fire blazes brightly and the villagers leave, letting the flames burn away the last remnants of a foolish doctor's folly. Frankenstein's monster will terrorize their land no more. And welcome back to Fury Tales. Today we are talking about Frankenstein, the 1818 book about a mad doctor and his experiments and how he can reanimate the dead or at least non-living material and make the perfect man and how they go awry. A look into some of the 
more finer points of human emotion and psychology and philosophy, a dive into the science fiction realm mixed with gothic horror. Now, the conception of Frankenstein has to be one of my favorite ways for any book idea to come about. Combined with Mary Shelley's interest in alchemy, galvanism, and the occult, she, her husband Percy Shelley, and the famed poet Lord Byron actually started a competition on a rainy, cold summer night to see who could write the best ghost story. So it was here that Mary had some kind of dream and vision of what she wanted to accomplish, actually having traveled the European countryside to learn a lot more about her interests, she came up with this idea of a man who created life and had to deal with the repercussions of it, and thus Frankenstein began. She actually started writing it in 1816, when she was just only 18 years old. And a lot of influence came from her personal life, uh, her upbringing, her relationship with her family and her husband and everybody. This all came into a culmination of what made each character unique and the actual monster itself. She lost her mother shortly after her birth, so she was very, very close to her father as a result. But since her father remarried and the stepmother had an issue with their relationship, it caused a divide between her and her father. However, she was still very much in touch with her father's works and everything that he helped to teach her. Many of his novels actually helped influence the writing of Frankenstein, uh, one of which was Inquiry Concerning Political Justice. She also later on in life, while she was in the middle of writing these, uh, had a child with Percy, and it was two months premature, and she ended up losing it shortly after it was born. So this also helped a different side of the Frankenstein story about bringing in new life into a world and immediately losing it or having to come to terms with that kind of consequence. So Shelley begins writing Frankenstein uh, as a teenager, and she manages to finish it and decides to publish it anonymously in 1818. She does end up, of course, being credited for the book, and that happened in 1823 for the first time on the second edition of the novel. Now, many consider Frankenstein to be the very first science fiction novel. It also has a lot of ties to the gothic horror and the romantic movement. It was the start of a new genre of horror addressing the mad scientist playing God, which we will see a lot more starting from here and well into the 20th and 21st centuries as science fiction grows. 
this story itself has its own influences that it pulled from, many of which uh, allude to the myth of Prometheus from Greek mythology, which we'll talk about more in just a little bit, and Paradise Laws about Lucifer and his fall from heaven and challenging God. So we have a very consistent theme of these characters who want to do better or create their own life and see how much better they think they can do instead of trusting in the method. Now the 1931 movie and later retellings describe the creature in a very distinct manner, one that many of us recognize immediately for the Frankenstein monster. Uh, it's a cobbled together corpse where he had pulled all these body parts from the graveyard and in fact it caused a lot of issues and it was thrown onto a slab and used electricity to power it up but actually in the original novel the doctor had a different kind of science that he was working with and he uses kind of ambiguously put together science to create a body from raw materials head to toe and bring forth this new man now in terms of the frankenstein character itself which is not the monster as many people have called and the title kind of caused that confusion itself but frankenstein is the actual doctor victor frankenstein uh, when she wrote him she actually built him to be a lot like her husband, Percy, and they share a lot of similarities. Their interest in the sciences is one, and their, how Percy was obsessed with magnets and science and chemistry. Uh, they both come from a family full of political connections and royalty. They both have sisters named Elizabeth. Uh, Victor may have also been modeled after the Victor, in Paradise Lost, another name for God in the books, bringing another connection between the two books and the bigger idea of God creating new life. The novel itself was both widely regarded and also ignored due to its anonymous publication. Uh, once her identity was revealed, however, she was heavily criticized just for the fact that she was a woman tackling these broad generalized ideas of philosophy and psychology in a field that many considered only able to be done by men. So this really goes to prove that not much has changed at all in the last 200 years since there are a lot of women that immediately get criticized or thrown under the bus just for their gender and not taken seriously for their ideas that a man could bring to the table. So we see that Mary Shelley was faced with some of the same things. However, those reviews were not the norm. And she was able to rise above that and achieve almost immediate popular success. Even to this day, with glowing reviews by many horror and science fiction directors, and one in particular, Guillermo del Toro. And his review actually is as follows. Frankenstein is the quintessential teenage book. You don't belong. 
You were brought to this world by people that don't care for you, and you are thrown into a world of pain and suffering and tears and hunger. It's an amazing book written by a teenage girl. It's mind-blowing. There is a lot more that I can go into on the book and its themes and many of the things that we get to see. But I want to move over to the influences that it had and how this was actually distributed. Because while the book was widely popular, of course, with popularity, we get to see more mediums come out. So while it is the most well-known and one that started it all, the 1931 Universal Pictures Frankenstein movie was not the first on-screen appearance of the Mad Doctor and his creation. Many plays were actually written and produced before we even got to see it on the silver screen. There was the play Presumption in 1823, which actually Mary Shelley and her husband were able to attend and see this creation come to life. There was The Man and the Monster in 1826, and there was actually a musical burlesque show called Frankenstein or The Vampire's Victim that was produced. In 1910, we did see the first movie, uh, a silent black and white picture directed by J. Searle Dolly. 1915, we have the second, Life Without Soul. But actually, unfortunately, there are no prints of this film remaining in good condition. So whoever got to see it, they're the only ones that did, unfortunately. Uh, 1920, we have the monster Frankenstein, and then finally we come to the more famous 1931 Universal Pictures Frankenstein, the one that really changed everything on how we see this creature, and the one that set the precedence for most everything that follows. Uh, this produced two sequels, Bride of Frankenstein and The Son of Frankenstein, and this was the last movie with the famed Boris Karloff as the monster. Now, our favorite wolfman, Lon Chaney Jr., played the monster in 1942's The Ghost of Frankenstein, and then this was followed by Dracula himself, Bela Lugosi, taking the role and facing off against Lon Chaney as the Wolfman in a six-year monster rally set of films in which they faced off with Wolfman meets Frankenstein. 1957 through 1974, we saw the illustrious Peter Cushing take on this role. I bring him up because... Even though not many in these generations are aware of it, but Peter Cushing was one of those actors that really transformed things through stage and screen. And he was most well known by our generation for playing Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars in one of his last surviving roles. In his set of movies, he also starred alongside Star Wars alum Christopher Lee, another horror icon and overall phenomenal actor that's bridged a lot of the genre gaps and jumped into many screen and stage productions and just really transformed how you see things. 
1994, we had another adaptation, this one called Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, with another well-known horror icon of this generation, Helena Bonham Carter. And this featured Robert De Niro and Monty Python alum John Cleese. Uh, there were many more movies, TV shows, made-for-TV movies, miniseries, musicals, and even a ballet that have been made, and they don't stop coming. Guillermo del Toro has also expressed interest in a reboot along the lines of The Mummy that recently released as well, and unfortunately, that's been put on hold since The Mummy didn't do as well as everyone expected. But fingers crossed that maybe we'll get to see these universal monsters come back. Now, before I jump into some of the other influences that Frankenstein has had on the cinema and stage world, I do want to go back and just discuss the story that I spoke of, which was actually an adaptation of the 1931 movie. Now, this wasn't a true adaptation. I discussed a little bit of it before with the fact that the monster was different in how it was described and put together and how it was created. Some of the other choices, and you'll see why I didn't mention by name, but the doctor was named Henry in the book. The assistant's name, instead of the famed Igor, was named Fritz. Elizabeth survives in the movie, whereas in the book she dies, and that transforms a lot of how Victor sees the world. And it's kind of a less tragic look at the monster than what the book does. And that's saying something because obviously the movie is also tragic and features death and loss, but this one more makes the doctor, Henry, or in this case Victor, the hero, whereas in the book, and this is kind of one of the most widely debated topics on who is the true protagonist of the book. Because by the end, you see things in a totally different light on how the monster could actually be the sympathetic character and the doctor, the antagonist here. Now, we talked about over 100 years of Frankenstein adaptations that kind of stay true to the original book that Shelley had written out. However, it has had its influence on how we view things and in the horror community as well as outside of it. There's been other TV shows that are loose adaptations of the story, such as Frankenstein Chronicles starring Sean Bean, a movie Igor that talks more about the assistant. We also have what intended to be a Tim Burton parody in the 80s called Frankenweenie that he made into a actual full-length animated feature about a young boy who resurrects his dog back from the dead in order to get him back. We also see the Frankenstein monster show up in a lot of strange and unusual places. We have the common ones like Van Helsing, which features Dracula and the Wolfman and these monsters, Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, the monster, the Frankenstein monster in this case, is used as a tool by Dracula to help to summon Dracula's unborn children out and cause terror across Transylvania. The monster itself is a mournful and smart and creative creature and it just wants to be away from that and not be used as a tool and be its own person. We also see 
Frankenstein and the monster show up in the television series Penny Dreadful, along with many other horror icons and and folklore legends. Um, some other more comedic views have been seen, such as when the Chipmunks and Alvin face off against it in a couple movies. Uh, Scooby-Doo has encountered the Frankenstein monster, as well as the monster's daughter when they help out at a school for ghouls, along with Dracula's daughter, the mummy's daughter, the invisible girl. Uh, the Monkeys, the comedic rock group from the 60s and 70s, have also faced off against the Frankenstein monster and helped it to learn some musical talent. Staying in the more comedic areas of how Frankenstein has been portrayed, we look at a really direct parody of this by Mel Brooks called Young Frankenstein, which actually combines the three major universal pictures, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and Son of Frankenstein, kind of into one movie. The plot lines stay the same, but there's a lot of inside jokes there of how Frankenstein's name is pronounced, how Igor's name is pronounced, how the monster learns and becomes a, a dancer. And it's a genuinely humorous film. It's a humorous look into it, while kind of sticking to the same lore. So great to watch in conjunction with each other. A little bit less well-known, but kind of nail-on-the-head parody for this is the British play and eventual movie starring Tim Curry called The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, the Actually, in one of the songs of the movie, they say that they're going to Frankenstein's palace. There's a light on at the Frankenstein castle. We see many similarities to the Frankenstein story, such as a mad doctor trying to create a man and give life and play God and actually play with the minds of many of his servants and the people involved here. Last but not least, I wanted to point out a semi-surprising place that we've seen the Frankenstein legend uh, dating back to the 60s and still going forward. Uh, this is actually through Doctor Who. The 1965 Doctor Who serial, The Chase, features a sequence set in what appears to be a mysterious old house where various horror film monsters, including Frankenstein's monster, menace the Doctor and his companions, and later actually the Daleks. In 1976, Doctor Who serial, The Brain of Morbius, has a Time Lord criminal brought back to life by a mad scientist using the Time Lord's brain and a body composed of various alien races, much like the monster itself. And finally, in the regeneration sequence of the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, into the eighth incarnation, Paul McGann, the 1996 TV movie Doctor Who, it's set in a hospital morgue where they are actually watching the same 1931 Frankenstein in the next room, and the scenes in which the monsters brought to life are intercut with images of the Doctor's own resurrection. The last thing I wanted to touch on, I brought it up earlier, was the link to Prometheus and this act of creating life and playing God and going against the gods and doing your own thing. In Greek mythology, Prometheus was a titan who happened to help create mankind at the behest of Zeus. He wanted people to worship him, Zeus did, and so he had Prometheus create these things in their image. Prometheus was very attached to man 
and he taught man to hunt and read and heal its own sick and just provide a new life. But he did also help them trick Zeus with very low quality offerings, which really angered Zeus. So he punished them by keeping fire from them because without fire, they couldn't survive. They couldn't keep warm. They couldn't eat. Prometheus, very attached to his creations, took the fire back. This really angered Zeus and caused him to punish the Titan by chaining him to the rock of Caucasus, where an eagle would peck out his liver every day until Hercules saved him. Now, in the Latin versions of this, most of it is the same, but he actually made the man from clay and water using the raw resources, much like Victor Frankenstein did, and rebelled against the gods and what they wanted also much like Victor, taking his own chance, building his own destiny, and linking back to the fact that this book is not only just called Frankenstein, and not only visits what man can do with given this seemingly unlimited amount of power of, of creation, but touches on the philosophy of what being the modern Prometheus could actually be. Fairy Tales is written and produced by me. Music is provided by Nicholas Gasparini. New episodes are released every Wednesday. If you do enjoy the show, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, as well as rate and review. Every bit of feedback is valuable to me, and I will be sure to give you a shout-out on any future shows. Also, be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at FearyTales13. And, of course, check out my Patreon for some member-only rewards and goals I'd like to hit to provide you, my fans, with additional content and higher-quality work. And remember, nightmares exist outside of logic, and there's little fun to be had in explanations. They're antithetical to the poetry of fear. Stephen King